0: Hello, everyone. It's very nice uh, to see you. I was just looking around. I don't think I need to introduce myself. Everyone hopefully um, knows who I am. And this morning, I have the privilege of continuing uh, our series called Kingdom People, uh, where us as a church family, we are looking through and studying the book of Acts. And I'm going to be preaching from Acts 5, uh, verses 12 to 42. But before we read that together, I just want to put out some headlines, titles, uh, of what has happened so far in the book of Acts. We've seen uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have seen Jesus leaving them. We've seen the ascension. We've seen in chapter 2 the filling uh, of the Holy Spirit. We've seen a devoted community, and we see a devoting community throughout the whole book of Acts. They are devoted to one another. Uh, They are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We see salvation, people um, getting to know Jesus. We see signs and wonders, the miracles, the supernatural. Uh, We see see fellowship and the togetherness and the unity um, where people are extremely generous. Josh um, spoke on that a few weeks ago. um, Where they give to people in need, they give to the church. And we also see some persecution. Persecution. Uh, Some difficulties. And what we have here is that apostles uh, Peter and John, uh, in chapter 4, they've been before the Sanhedrin. They've been strictly told that they are not to speak about Jesus. Um, And they are released from a threatening situation. They're allowed to go. And the first thing they do is that they go and they pray with their friends. Um, And we read that they are filled with the power of God. Uh, we read that they are filled with the Spirit. Actually, the whole building is shaking, uh, and they are filled with this dynamite that we've heard people use this um, during this series. The power of God meets with them. And directly, we see that they witness in a very powerful way. They speak about Jesus powerfully. But also, um, they are extremely generous, and, and they give a lot of money away. Uh, and what we have now in my section are other examples Uh, or what it looks like to be filled with the presence of God, or what it looks like to be filled uh, with the power of God. So we're going to read, and I've asked Jolanda to read for me. Uh, We're going to read chapter 5, verses 12 to 42. Uh, And I think it will be up on the screen. So Jolanda, if you want to just take the mic. Is it where? Oh, there it is. Yeah, thank
1: you. you. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people bought the sick, brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so so that at least uh, Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people, and tell the people the full message of the new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and, the, and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the of the elders of Israel and sent for jail, sent to jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple cots teaching the people. At that, the captain went to with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. In this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, "We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him on his might. Um, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses." of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put to, put outside for a little while. When he addressed them, men of Israel Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt." He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you leave these men alone, let them go. For if their power or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech pursued them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. Excellent.
0: Thank you, Jolanda. So, first of all, um, I want to look at the first two verses, or the first section, which is the verses 12 to 16, uh, which is uh, the apostles heal many. And what we read here is that we have the apostles, uh, they are performing signs and wonders, and God is at work, God is moving. Uh, In fact, the people who are around Peter, they just want Peter's shadow to fall on them if they're sick, because uh, that's how much God was using him. And it wasn't that Peter was this, you know, a bit weird healing man walking around um, healing people in his own strength, but God, the power of God was so at work in Peter, And he was being able to to heal people by God using him. He was being used as God's tool. And obviously, this good news is spreading around the area. It's spreading in Jerusalem. It's spreading to the surrounding towns. And people are saved. We read that men and women turn to Jesus. And it is a really encouraging section because when One example of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit is to see the supernatural, to see signs and wonders. But uh, I find this section very challenging, and I'm going to explain to you why I find this section so challenging. Um, Because the thing is, I've seen God move. Uh, I've seen God move in the miraculous, um, and I know he can do it. But I know, and maybe it's the same for many of us in this room, we live with unanswered prayers when it comes to uh, salvation. We live with, we've maybe have been praying for people for a very long time, and actually they've not been healed yet. And that can be very painful. So I've been praying for my mum uh, for over 30 years. She's not suffering with a life threatening disease, but she's um, suffering with an extreme form of arthritis that's breaking down her skeleton. And I remember as a little girl, maximum five, I was on my knees praying, because she, when she first got the sickness, she was very sick, and my dad had to carry her to different places, or carry her from the bathroom to the, to the kitchen or whatever. And I remember being on my knees praying that God would take um, the pain away. And this summer, I was still praying for her because she was struggling to walk, because her knees were so sore, and she was trying to run around with Freddie and Oscar. Which, to be fair, <laughs> you, don't, uh, you, you can be fit and healthy, and it will still be hard work. <laughs> uh, and it's painful to see the people we love in pain. We have a, a close family friend who is at the moment dying of cancer, um, and she's going to leave her family. Unless God breaks in and heals her, uh, she will leave. She's not going to be here for much longer. And I, in my human perspective, I find that very unfair. I find it very painful and I find it very hard. Many of you know that I like walking and we are often out with our dog. And when I'm out walking, you meet the same people and sometimes you start talking to someone. Uh, And there's been a few times where I felt God asked me to stop um, and I stepped out to pray for a person who was clearly uh, in pain. Um, And I've done that a few times. Um, which is scary for me. It's not. I find that quite uh, scary to do. And as far as I know, God didn't do anything. He didn't heal um, these people. So in my opinion, that was very humiliating. I was very angry with God. So about a year ago, uh, I was about to say I made a deal with God. I certainly didn't make a deal. He didn't make any deals with me. but <laughs> I told God that, um, that's it, God. I know you can heal. Um, I know you can do it. But uh, unless you're going to do it, unless you, um, unless you start doing what I want you to do, I'm not doing any more praying for healing. And so until that day, until now, I've not prayed for healing. I've prayed for many people, but I've decided, God, unless you're going to start healing people, I'm not going to do it. I was f- f- starting to feel quite upset about it and angry with him. So when Josh asked me to pray... And the first thing I see, it says, uh, signs and wonders. I I, I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I can actually say no this time. I don't need to preach. Um, But then I thought, actually, it's a really long section. I can just skim over the first few verses. And then I can focus on the second part. And that is much more my style. They are before the Sanhedrin. um, They are in fear. They actually get beaten and they walk away rejoicing. Perfect. I had it all planned out. <laughs> um, and what happened was that on a Monday morning, I had a bit of time to prepare, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to read through the section one more time, and then I'm going to start to write. And as I was reading uh, verses 12 to 16, um, I was in our study, and the presence of God just came on me in, in, in quite a powerful way, and I was just, just sobbing. And I was uh, reading. I was sobbing. I was reading. Josh came in at some point uh, because he was back with. let um, some water. He was just back with the boys, and God was beginning to deal with some hardness in my heart that was beginning to take place. Because the fact is that when we don't deal with disappointment or sadness or even anger, it can really get a hold of us. It can really be a root. Um, And God was just really, I just felt an overwhelming sense of his love. And I just felt he was saying to me, Nina, you just need to be willing. Nina, you just need to be willing. You step out and pray and the rest is up to me. Um, I am the storyteller. You are not. Whether my mom is going to be healed or not, is not up to me and how hard I pray. And I just felt God really speak to me personally. Um, what God does is up to him because he is God. And I know that one day, and we all know, that one day he will make everything right again. Everything that is unjust will be made right. Every pain and sickness and disease will be gone, and it will be made perfect. And until then, God may heal, and he does heal. I have faith that he does heal, or he may not. I just felt God really speak to me about him being God and the storyteller. And I just need to have a willing heart to pray for people, step out, and the rest is up to him. And this week, I just felt as I was preparing, uh, there may be people here who are living with unanswered prayers, either to do with healing uh, or other prayers. Um, And the story is not really going in the direction that you were hoping to. And often when disappointment comes and when sadness comes, it can really, as I said, can take a hold of us and it can be a root. And first of all, I just felt God wanted to say, he knows the pain that that can be. It's not that he is separate to your pain. He's right there with you. And so first of all, God knows, but also I felt God say that he really wants to meet with you this morning. Just like his overwhelming love came over me when I least expected it to begin to deal with some of my issues to do with people that I love not being healed, I just felt God just wants to come and meet with you this morning and show his love. And it's an element as well of just surrendering and just saying, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you, I surrender. You are the storyteller. You are writing my story, and I'm not. So I just want to encourage you to have an open heart as we, as we go on, that I just felt God really wants to meet with you and to show his love to you this morning. Looking then at verses 17 to 32, we're looking at, I've, I've I'm titled it, Living Off Mute. Because what we have um, here is that God is moving. Uh, He's really working through Peter and the rest of the apostles. The Sanhedrin are furious. They are ready to kill them there and then. And we know this because we know that we are in a spiritual battle, that when God is moving, when we are being used by God, a battle will come. There's persecution coming. Uh, there, there, There will be difficulties. We know that. And we have Peter and actually the rest of the apostles, they are before the Sanhedrin again, and it's it's a threatening situation. And they could potentially be killed for what they say here, which for me, living in Sweden, that's very hard to understand. And I just want to look at Peter, because I think we have a few things uh, to learn from Peter, just from this section Peter, he knows who he worships. He knows what he believes, and he says, "I must obey God rather than human beings." And if we remember when Peter was before, and Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin uh, in chapter four, he says something very similar. He says, "I listen to God rather than you." Basically, is what he's saying. He he doesn't sort of start begin to swirl. Changing, He stands very firm, saying the same thing again. He knows. He knows who he worships. He knows what he prioritizes. He's prioritizing the praise of God rather than praise of man, which is very challenging, because if you're anything like me, it's nice to be praised by man. But he is putting his priorities right. And in a nation like Sweden, as I said, we are not most likely going to be killed for what we say. and We have a freedom of speech. Uh, but often we get to compromise, or we are asked to compromise on what we believe in. Uh, or we stay silent because we are worried about what other people may think. Or we don't want to step on anyone's toes. And who do we fear the most? Who do we worship the most? Who do I? What do I... Prioritize. Do I prioritize being praised by God or being praised by man? Peter, he was not questioning that. He Peter knew what he was doing. He knew who he worshipped. He was bold, not because Peter, I mean Peter messed up a lot. He was weak, he was uneducated. But the power of God was with him. Looking at Peter, if I was Peter at this stage, I would have said I would have been like, I've done one good sentence, that's done. I'm not speaking anymore. But Peter, he continues, knowing that the Sanhedrin are ready to go for him and to end his life. And you would think, Well, isn't that enough now, Peter? But he continues and he he continues to speak the truth. And he says to them, You killed Jesus. But he is now alive. So even in this situation, he's witnessing who Jesus is. He's talking about Jesus. There's nothing that stops him. He's sharing about what Jesus has done. He says he's alive. And then he declares who he is. He says he sits on the throne. He's exalted. He speaks the truth very boldly in an extremely scary situation that um, is hard to fully understand in the Western society. Before, many of you have heard, but before I, um, when we started um, preaching or going through the book of Acts, I was awake in the night and I felt God speak to me about the church being given a new voice. I've shared this uh, with um, you a few weeks ago. Um, And I felt God was saying, the church has been muted for too long. And I literally saw a, a finger pressing on the phone. We, you can press the button that is unmute. Often, when Josh rings me, I have it on mute. And I'm like, hello, Josh, where are you? And Josh is a very, it's funny, but also very frustrating for Josh, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, Josh, I just needed to press the unmute. Um, and I just felt God say, the church has been muted for too long. It's a time to speak. And as Christians, we are called to speak, and we are also called uh, to be a light in the dark places. And maybe you feel sometimes a bit like me, you feel insignificant, or you think, oh, what I'm saying right now at work, it it doesn't really matter, or it's not that important, or it won't make a difference. And you let fear take hold of you and, and, and actually control you. And I just felt... It is church, we must speak. We have such a hope. We worship the God who reigns, who has won the victory, who is for us. And I just feel God is wanting the church to speak in a new, fresh way. And not to be silent. To witness about what Jesus has done. To declare who he is when we are in the workplaces. When we are walking, or whoever we are speaking to, we are not to be silent. And what I'm not saying here is we have to be careful, because we are not to go around um, pointing our finger at people and saying, "Oh, look at me, or you're a sinner, you're doing that wrong," or telling people off, that's not what I'm talking about." Because we always need to remember um, who. We were who I was before God rescued me. I was sin and dirt. I could not approach a holy God. But it says in Ephesians, but God, who was rich in mercy, he rescued me and he saved me. And it's all to do with him. I could try and be my absolute best, I would not be good enough. I'll tell you that for sure. And you could try to do your absolute best, you would not be good enough. And we are not to go around telling people off. Now, we have been shown huge forgiveness, massive, massive amount of grace, mercy. And we are to show people the same. We are to love people. I'm in the workplace, at the moment I can't work because I'm pregnant, but, um, and I work with pe- a, a wide group of people, half of them are in same sex marriages or relationships. I have to, my approach in there is I love them. They get to know me. Because if I was to go in there and tell people off, I would lose the person. So by loving people, showing grace and mercy, I've had some um, opportunities just to share about Jesus in a very dark place. And we are called to be the same, not to be silent. Roger spoke to us last week, and he said, we have not got a spirit of fear. We have not been given a spirit of timidity. But he's given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love and self-control, which means that we, because we have the power of God in us, we have his presence with us, we can speak in power. We can love people. And we just need to be self-controlled with what we say and what we don't say. But we're not called to be silent. And that is the big difference. We are called to speak about the hope that we have in Jesus. And the last uh, verses, 34 to 42. Um, is that we're looking at our God reigns. <laughs> the sovereignty of God, which was... Uh, encouraging when Verity and Chloe came up and they were talking about our God reigns and that he is at work and he is a storyteller. So the apostles, they are still before the Sanhedrin. Um, Are they going to be killed? Are they not? They're waiting for that. And we read that a a very well-educated, well-honored man, a a rabbi called Gamaliel, Gamaliel, probably saying that wrong, he saves the apostles. He speaks up for them. And he says, Leave them alone, because if this is on man, it will fail. But if this is of God, it cannot be stopped. And what we see is this echoes what we read in chapter 4. And actually, what the apostles are praying in chapter 4 and verse 23 onwards. They're, talking, they're praying about the sovereignty. Of God that God is in control and this is if we read the prayer in chapter 4 it's actually this is an answer to what they're praying because what they have they're praying about the sovereignty of God that God reigns and that he's in control and then here in chapter 5 we have a non-christian a rabbi who doesn't know Jesus who is actually talking about the sovereignty of God God being in control and he says, if this is of man, just look at history, it will fail. But if this is of God, nothing will be able to come against it. He's talking that God is in control, that he reigns, that he's victorious. And we know that attacks will come on the people, the church. It does. But in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus is saying, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So even though attacks will come on individuals or on the church, Jesus loves his church. We've heard heard that before in Acts. And he says, I will build it. We know that God is sovereign. We know that he has the final word. That he is the author, and he is the storyteller. And it's not finished yet. And then we look at the apostles. Uh, this speech that Gamaliel, Gamaliel is holding actually saves the apostles. And they are not um, killed. Not this time. But they are beaten. Um, and they are, we read that they are flogged. Pisgad, uh, whipped, probably what about 39 times, which is what sort of um, what the current Jewish law was saying. So it's most likely that they will have been beaten on their backs uh, 39 times. It wasn't just that they were slapped in the face or a bit humiliated, like I was when I was praying for people out there. They were actually beaten hard. Their their backs would have been sore. They would have been bleeding. And when I was reading this, you can't help by looking at my story and the apostle's story. Because here I was, uh, I felt God speak to me, I step out and I pray for people when I'm out on my walk or in the street, which is very scary. But actually, God doesn't answer my prayer. He doesn't heal the person who's in a lot of pain in front of me. Which is humiliating for me, I get angry and I decide, okay God, that's it you're not doing what I want you to do so I'm not praying for healing anymore and then I'm stubborn so that's how it is for a few months until God has to meet with me and deal with that we have the apostles here they are beaten they preach the gospel they boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus and then they are beaten badly but they leave rejoicing actually if we stop and reflect on that that's very challenging for me they leave rejoicing after they probably should be angry if they're anything like me because they've been before the Sanhedrin they've been told not to speak about Jesus they've then been beaten and this is challenging, because how do I respond, or how do we respond, when things don't go our way? When, when the story that we are living doesn't actually go the way I would like? When my mom or my friend does not get healed of cancer, Why? how do I respond with that? It can be very challenging. It is not easy. By the apostles, they leave rejoicing. They, worked, they, 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 they count themselves worthy because they, they, they get to rejoice. Of, or they get to be persecuted and beaten, and then they rejoice. And we see example after example of how people in Scripture they rejoice through suffering. It's an example of being filled with the Spirit, the power of God. In Philippians, Paul is in prison. I've never been in prison, thankfully, but I can imagine it's not so nice. Yet he writes this book that is all about joy and rejoicing. And we have a hope in Jesus. We have hope because Jesus reigns. He sits on the throne. He's won the battle. And that means that we can rejoice in suffering because it's not dependent on our, what we see in front of us is all dependent on Him. And as He was saying to me, Nina, I'm the storyteller. You are not. Even if I like to think sometimes, I'm not. He writes a story. And He is in control. He reigns. And that is worth us rejoicing over. That means that I can live with the thing that my mom may never get healed, and it's painful and upset sometimes I get about that. I can rejoice. I can say goodbye to my friend who is dying. Hopefully, maybe God will heal her. Maybe. I still pray for that. But I can rejoice because I know that Jesus has the final say.